Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Lord, um, please guide us today in this Word and give us wisdom and discernment for the things to come. Uh, In Jesus' name, thank you, Father. Well, I'm going to talk about uh, the man-child coming with nuclear war. Hmm. This will be part one. Okay, I'm going to start with um, signs of a coming world war. Um, a couple of years ago, I spoke on our broadcast um, of that I had read that the Alliance was planning to a scare event, a fake. World War Scare event. And I believe this is for the purpose of moving the world towards their one world order. They believe that their new satellite system is able to incapacitate nuclear missiles around the world, so they think this is a safe thing. But I have experienced that spiritual warfare trumps uh, electronics and mechanics. And I speak both of God's ability and uh, demonic witchcraft ability through the deep state. So there may be something they're not counting on. All right. Uh, I spoke that uh, the deep state was expert at getting in the middle of two adversaries and shooting both ways and then ducking out so that there ended up being a real world war which they have already tried to start between the U.S. and Russia. So it's not not as though we don't know their motivation here. Um, I believe now that this may have been a word of knowledge. And I mentioned this suspicion a couple of times since then. I believe our prayers can lessen this destruction, but not delete it, because it is written in the Word. Okay. Uh, Daniel was a type of the man-child reformers. He was anointed over Babylon, just as Cyrus, as a type of Trump, was taking it over. So, Trump has said, I'm back. And I believe he is at the door. I believe his army has become the Alliance of Nations, and they are taking down deep state all over the world, even now. And I believe his announcement was a warning that is very near. So now we can tie the man-child anointing to rule with this terrible world war to take down deep state Babylon. Revelation 6, 1 through 4 says, 
And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, As with a voice of thunder, Come. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat thereon had a bow, and there was given unto him a crown, and he came forth conquering and to conquer. Well, the white horse rider, as we've explained from Scripture, is the Lord in the man-child ministry. Kind of like Moses conquered Egypt before they were able to leave and go through the wilderness. And uh, so it's a type of that. And and as we've shown in other teachings, uh, clearly that this is the Lord who is coming in his man-child reformers by the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the true word of God. This will make war against the enemies of God's true people, uh, which is uh, in all the world, conservatives and liberals alike. (laughs) Uh, It's going to be all over the world, and it will take out both conservatives and liberals. Um, Romans 3.19 says, All the world may be brought under the judgment of God. And, of course, uh, the next verse of um, uh, Revelation 6, 1 through 4, uh, He takes peace from the earth. Takes peace from the earth. That they would slay one another. Okay, so... Here we have the man-child coming forth, and he's bringing judgment upon Egypt once more, the world, right? So um, this war will bring judgment on all of the world to show that they are under the curse and must be brought under the blood of Jesus. There is no deliverance from the curse. No matter what they say about Nasara, Jasara, and... um, the New Age people say, there is no deliverance from the curse. And God is about to prove that because the world is wicked and the judgment will bring many to repentance. So this is typed as Moses and David and Gideon and Jehoshaphat, Jesus, etc. And Jesus the man-child said in Matthew ten thirty four, Think not that I came to send peace on the earth, I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be those of his own household. So this is to separate the world from the church, right? That's what this sword is to do. And uh, I believe it will be very effective. So the man-child is leading a war against all of the lost world, and here, like it was in Egypt, right? And here it is in the very next verse. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come, and another horse came forth, a red horse. And to him that sat thereon, it was given to take peace from the earth, that they should slay one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. What would you consider a great sword today? Well, I would consider it nuclear and biological, wouldn't you? Yeah. 
So here is uh, the great sword, Jesus said, he would bring. And like Gideon's army, it uh, set the wicked against the wicked. Isaiah forty-eight twenty-two says, There is no peace, saith the Lord, to the wicked. So they're crying peace and safety. But there is no peace, saith the Lord, to the wicked. So much for the thousand years of peace and safety that they're proclaiming and crying out for, right? Then comes what? Sudden destruction. First Thessalonians 5 and 3. When they are saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall in no wise escape. Well, notice the sudden destruction comes by the man-child body. He's going forth to conquer Right, and uh, and of course he is born of the woman church, in whom Jesus lives. Uh, what is the great sword? I believe it's the nuclear and biological. We just received this by faith at random, and it appears to show the man-child judging by nuclear war. The Lord will come as a lion in this time instead of a lamb. He declares. So Isaiah thirteen two through 13 says, Set ye up an ensign upon the bare mountain. Lift up the voice unto them. Uh, wave the hand that they may go into the gates of the nobles. I have commanded my consecrated ones. Yes, I have called my mighty men for mine anger, even my proudly exalting ones. The noise of a multitude in the mountains, as of a great people, the noise of a tumult of the kingdoms of the nations gathered together. The Lord of hosts is mustering the host for the battle. They come from a far country, from the uttermost parts of heaven. Even the Lord and his weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. So this is a, an attack from heaven through men that destroy the whole land. Well ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Now I believe that the Lord has shown that there is a day of the Lord after the bride's tribulation, before the tribulation of the church, and there is a day of the Lord after the church's seven-year tribulation. Because it takes the same things to bring people to maturity. And it takes the same things to bring judgment upon those who crucified first the bride and then the church. Okay, In both cases, the Lord comes to judge the wicked who mistreat his people. It goes on to say, As destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Therefore shall all hands be feeble. And every heart of man shall melt. You know why? Because the day has finally come. Yeah. And they shall be dismayed. Pangs and sorrow shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman in travail. With what? With the coming of the Lord in the man-child. Okay, so now we got the timing here too. They shall look in amazement one at another. Their faces shall be faces of flame. In other words, obviously they'll be 
facing flames everywhere. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel, with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy the sinners thereof out of it. So I'm believing that this is world uh, nuclear and total and biological, no doubt, uh, war. And uh, verse 10 goes on to say, For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. Another symptom of uh, a world nuclear war. The sun shall be darkened in its going forth, and the moon shall not cause its light to shine. And I will punish the world. This is a world nuclear war. The first one, actually. For their evil. And the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease. And I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Yes, it's going to humble a lot of people. I will make a man more rare than fine gold, even a man than pure gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens to tremble. Hmm, sounds like a nuclear holocaust. And the earth shall be shaken out of its place. Again, a world nuclear war. In the wrath of the Lord of hosts, in the day of his fierce anger. Well, okay. Um, I want to go back to Haggai for a moment here. Uh, the Haggai man-child prophecy. Haggai was told by the Lord that he would bless them from this day by shaking the heavens and the earth and breaking the power of the nations over them, sending them into the wilderness tribulation behind the man-child. Okay? He would bless them from this day. Haggai 2.10 In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, Kislev, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet. Uh, going to verse 19. From this day will I bless you. And the word of the Lord came a second time unto Haggai in the four and twentieth day of the month, Kislev, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth. Zerubbabel, of course, was a type of the man-child, the first fruits who came out of Babylon to, re, to lead God's people in the rebuilding of the kingdom, right? So, I will shake the heavens and the earth. That's during the eight day slash years of tribulation in the day of the Lord. Okay, I will overflow the throne of kingdoms. So kingdoms fall to the one world beast empire. Hmm. And is that what's happening right now? Yes, it's happening right now. And I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations. Well, uh, obviously blowing up all of their nuclear weapons could do that. <laughs> Or what the damage done by these nuclear weapons could do that. Okay, because that's exactly what they aim for, right? The strength of those nations. And I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them. Uh, kind of comparing this to um, uh, Pharaoh's destruction at the Red Sea. And the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the 
terrible sword of his brother. And this is as when Egypt's power was broken over the called out ones of Israel as they went into the wilderness tribulation to learn to walk by faith in God. And at this time, Israel was led by their their man-child, Moses, who was being typed here as the first fruits Zerubbabel, meaning born from Babylon. War may very well cover their flight into the wilderness. Uh, verse 23, And in that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, my the son of Shealtiel, uh, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, says the Lord of hosts. A signet is a sign. Amen. Well, notice, in that day, Zerubbabel will be a signet, which is a seal of authority such as kings have. The man-child will come with the authority of God to bring God's people out of bondage to the world and through the wilderness tribulation. And couldn't a nuclear world war bring the world into a world wilderness for a world people? Mm-hmm. Also on this day, the fountain, the foundation of the Lord's house, um, not made with hands, is laid again after a great falling away since the time of the apostles. 2 and 18, consider, I pray you, from this day and backward, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider it. So it is through the shaking of the nations in the tribulation that God's desired people come out of them and uh, to become the temple of peace, right? I will shake all nations, 2 and 7. I will shake all nations. And the precious things, the Hebrew word there is the desired of all nations shall come. <laughs> I will fill this house with glory. Yes, he is coming. I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. This is the temple at Jerusalem, which is the bride. The bride will be filled with the Lord. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former glory. Like the latter rain will be greater than the former rain, right? Says the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Peace in the midst of a world that is a mess, right? In the former reign, Jesus, the man-child, laid the foundation of the former glory house. 1 Corinthians 3 and 11 says, For other foundation no man can lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So also in the latter reign, Jesus in Zerubbabel, as a type of the man-child, will lay the foundation of the latter greater glory house. Zechariah 4 9, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. Well, notice this verse is saying that it is the Lord who is coming in Zerubbabel to build the house of God. 
Why does the man-child come? What is going to cause the man-child to come? Haven't we been seeing Jesus in the mirror by faith for years, according to 2 Corinthians 3 and 18? So, obviously, it tells us there that this is how His glory is manifest in His people. Haven't we believed that we have received this gift of Jesus in us by faith for years, according to Mark 11 and 24? Therefore I say unto you, all things whatsoever, which covers everything, you pray and ask for, believe that you received them, and you shall have them. So do you believe you have received the coming of the Lord in your life? Because you have to believe you have received before you will see them, right? So does all things cover this? So has Jesus come in his prepared vessels by grace through faith? Ah, are we not claiming his coming? Yeah. Uh, Hebrews 11 and 5 says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. By faith he was translated. He was caught up to the throne, so to speak. Well, considering all the timings that show his coming now, could God not show us that we are to believe we have received his coming now by faith so that it could come to pass. After all, he is coming as the latter rain, according to Hosea 6, 1 through 3, to those who are the people of faith. How did we receive the former rain? By faith. Wow! So isn't the latter rain going to be the same? The following revelations say that we have received this by faith. And let me explain. Okay, this is, we call this anointing oil delivered. Marilyn Clink. And this was given to her in late 2009. But uh, it was just brought up again just a few days ago. In this dream... A young boy about eight years old. Now, eight is the number of Jesus, right? He is 888. His name uh, in Gematria is 888. The, the flesh is cut off on the eighth day of circumcision. Uh, that sounds like a death. And then, of course, a resurrection of the man-child. That's this young boy. Uh, we received this at baptism by faith. We received our death and resurrection already by faith. What about the anointing? Of course, we have to receive that too by faith. Okay, so the eight-year-old came to UBM in Florida, which is the Sunshine State, S-O-N. In other words, the epiphany, the shining forth from, the glorification of the man-child. And he was looking for my husband. The young boy said, I'm looking for Barry. He drives a ruby-colored Accord. Well, in real life, Barry drives a burgundy 97 Honda Accord. <laughs> 
those who are in one accord with Jesus and under the burgundy blood will shine as the sun. S-O-N. <laughs> the brethren uh, told the boy, you must be looking for Barry. That's Barry Clink. And Barry is a Greek name meaning victory bringer, which represents the faith people. Hmm. Those who believe they have received by faith are the ones who are bringing the man-child. So, he lives in the state of Washington. Uh, the young boy then appeared at our house in Washington and said, I have a message for Barry. The anointing oil will be delivered on October the 3rd. We were very happy to receive the message. I would be too. The anointing is coming. What we were looking for is coming. Well, it was delivered on October the 3rd. So when October the 3rd passed by, uh, I thought, well, we must have missed it here somehow. But um, then this faith message came to me. We should receive this anointing now by faith as of October the 3rd. God was saying today, because that was the day we had come up to. It could have been any day, but it means today is what it means. So after which uh, war, of course, comes, according to Revelation 6, 1 through 4, as we just saw, uh, with the anointing of the man-child comes the seven day year marriage feast because the um, tribulation is of course a um, a week of years it's each day is a year right and the marriage feast is for seven days that are the seven day years when the man child teaches the woman in the wilderness or leads the woman through the wilderness and uh, also it is the destruction of Edom the RV and earthquakes, and the war in Revelation 6, 1 through 4. We've proven all of this through dreams, visions, revelations out of the Word before. So we're coming to a very active moment here. We noted that in the dream in 2009, October 3rd was only a week away. Still, in the dream, we shared the, the message with Brother David. In the dream, they shared the message with me. He said that he felt the message was valid. In other words, it's going to come to pass. But it might not come as quickly as a week. Ah, which that was true. This was in late 2009, so it spoke of a future event. All of the circumstances around the anointing of the man-child point to these days, not those days, right? So that was the end of the dream. So that was, again, we were receiving it as of that day, October the 3rd. We were receiving the coming of the man-child. We're not waiting any longer for him to come. We're receiving it. Okay, this is, was given to Michael Hare on October the 3rd. And we called it a time to receive by grace through faith now. So, 
This dream starts out in a dry, arid place, Michael said. Lots of dry dirt and little vegetation. Well, we know that those who are to manifest the man-child and those around the man-child are in their wilderness now. I had on rubber boots, and I don't know why, but that's what I had on. And I saw David and walked over and started talking to him. I noticed he was lying on his side with his head propped up with his hand. So the Davids, speaking about the David man-childs who are to receive the anointing, uh, they are at rest. What does it mean when you're at rest? It means you are believing you have received. You're no longer striving and struggling to have or to bring it. You have received it. That's what the rest is. Um, and in this case, it's received the anointing. Their head, who is Christ, is being lifted up. Notice, the head of the man-child is Christ himself. Okay? But it wasn't David in the flesh. It was an old pastor friend of mine named Larry House. But I knew it was David. Well, Larry means crowned with laurels. A laurel is a wreath worn on the head, usually as a symbol of victory. The last name, House, represents the house of David. Amen. It's just not a person. It's the house of David. So Michael uh, said during his pastoring years, Larry had a good prophetic gift. He would get spot on, Michael said, words of knowledge and prophecies many times. That's what Michael said. So I think that's the parallel we're seeing here is um, um, like it was said of Moses, you know, um, someone else in the likeness of Moses would be raised up. And... Uh, and everybody that would hearken unto that person would, of course, be saved, but those that refused to listen to that person would be lost. So um, David said, back to the dream here, David said it will start at 5 p.m. on that day. I knew he was talking about this Monday, October the 3rd. I knew I had to get back to Tennessee by 5 p.m. today because I was in Arkansas at the time I talked with David. Now, we realized that the, the number 5 here represents grace. And Michael, being in Arkansas, represented... I asked him one time, how, how are you in Arkansas? And uh, he thought it was because his mind was on his family. Uh, and, of course, now it needed to be on manifesting Christ by faith because if you do this, you're, you're, <laughs> you're doing the best thing you can do for your family, right? So here we have it again, receiving it that day. So once I realized this, I told Michael that, hey, God's saying we're supposed to receive this now by faith, just like we received the former rain. We're to receive it now, okay? 
So then I'm going to share with you um, earthquakes and receding waters as the Lord comes in the man-child reformers. Okay? I received this text yesterday. It points out that when the Lord comes in Judah as the man-child, the waters recede. Psalm 114, 1-8 When Israel went forth out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary. He dwelt inside Judah. Right? And his temple was inside Judah. And it was in even more accurately inside Zion in Judah. And Zion is the bride. Judah became his sanctuary. Israel his dominion. In other words, he would rule uh, out of Zion over Israel. The sea saw it and fled. Notice that. When he came to become in his sanctuary, the sea saw it and fled. The Jordan was driven back. The mountains skipped like rams, the little hills like lambs. So we see here the presence of the Lord causes earthquakes and the sea to flee away. What aileth thee, O thou sea, that thou fleest? Thou Jordan, that thou turnest back? Ye mountains, that you skip like rams? You little hills like lambs? Why are these earthquakes happening? Why is the water receding? <laughs> right? Tremble, thou earth, at the presence of the Lord. Hmm. At the presence of the God of Jacob, who turneth the rock into a pool of water and the flint into a fountain of waters. So, so I received uh, this today. Uh, it's about a witness showing the Gulf waters receding at least half a mile. It looked more like a mile to me out of Tampa Bay, Coral Bay, and other areas. Uh, and it lasted for over 12 hours. This man's walking down the beach pointing out you know, <laughs> you can't see no water out there. It's all gone. This was a sign of what we are supposed to receive here. The Lord's coming when the water recedes. Okay, and I, I have a link to that video here. And uh, also the Washington Post covers it pretty good. Um, in fact, it covers all the way down the coast this here so um so the lord comes with earthquakes uh i don't know if you've been watching dutch since but we just had earthquakes all the way around the ring of fire all the way down the west coast all the way down central america and across central america and all the way down the west coast of south america earthquakes 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 wow we read in Isaiah 64, 1 through 5, O oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might quake at thy presence. Oh, so the Lord showed up and everything started to shake. 
and when fire kindled the brushwood, and the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things which we look not for, thou camest down, and the mountains quaked at thy presence. Mm-hmm. For from of old men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen a God besides thee, who worketh for him that waiteth for him. We've been waiting for him. And now we're discovering a clue of how he wants to bring this to pass. Believe it and receive it. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth with and worketh righteousness. Those that remember thee in thy ways. Here, here you go. This is who he's coming for. Behold, thou wast wroth, and we sinned, and in them have we been of long time. And shall we be saved? <laughs> yeah. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness. All right. In fact, he's coming in Zion, the bride. Okay, Micah 1, 2 through 4. Hear, ye peoples, all of you, hearken, O earth, and all that therein is, and let the Lord be witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple, which is where? In Zion. For, behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place, and will come down, and tread upon the high places of the earth. Well, I tell you what, the Lord's got a heavy foot. And the mountains shall be melted underneath him. Volcanoes are once again popping up everywhere. And the valleys shall be cleft as wax before the fire, as waters are poured down a steep place. Well, the waters recede, and the mountains quake. And the volcanoes melt. We just received this by faith at random, and it appears to show the David man-child body of reformers will also destroy the faction against God's people. If you believe the Lord is not able to specifically destroy a people that is so spread out throughout the earth, just remember what happened on the Passover. The only ones killed were the firstborn of Egypt. Now, that's pretty particular. God has a, a, an ability to take out whoever he wants to take out. It doesn't matter that they're spread out through the earth. Amos 9, 8 through 12. Behold, the eyes of the Lord are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from off the face of the earth. Oh. Uh, off the face of the earth. That's a world war, probably a world nuclear war. Mm. Save that I will not utterly or completely, meaning, um, destroy the house of Jacob, says the Lord. That means he will destroy some who are supposedly in the house of Jacob. Right? For lo, I will command and I will sift the house of Israel among all the nations, like as a grain is sifted in a sieve, yet shall not the least kernel fall upon the earth. All the sinners of my people 
shall die by the sword, the great sword, remember, who say, the evil shall not overtake nor meet us. Well, I, I tell you, there's a whole lot of Christianity believes that. And, of course, the uh, the New Age people who are trying to blend in with these people uh, believe that. They don't believe the book of Revelation is coming. Sad story they're going to find out, right? Verse 11, In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen. Now, a tabernacle is a mobile temple. The tabernacle of David is the mobile temple of the David man-child body of reformers. And will close up the breaches thereof. He's going to finish off his man-child body prepared for the oil. And I will raise up its ruins and I will build it as in the days of old. And they that they may possess the remnant of Esau. They, that is the man-child. Because the man-child... King David in his day conquered Edom. The faction against their own brothers is what Edom was. They were traitors. And they are today. They are the Judases of today. And all the nations that are called by my name, says the Lord of hosts, that doeth this. All the nations? Well, this is a worldwide thing the Lord's getting ready to do here. At sunset on September the 25th, 2022, was Rosh Hashanah and the Feast of Trumpets, which is Yom Terah, meaning Day of Blowing Trumpets or Shofars, right? So that's the head of the year, right? The uh, Feast of Trumpets, we know that Tribulation period is a seven-year period of time where there's a trump in each year, right? So, um, the day of blowing trumpets or shofars. On this day, this year, the Shemitah year ends and a new seven-year cycle begins. And the tribulation is a seven-year cycle. And in case you're saying, oh, but David, the covenant has to come. The covenant has come. And we've been told that it would be hidden in our dreams and revelations. It has come. They're making it under people's noses. The agreement of what? Uh, many? Where is that? Look around you. The alliance is a one world order that's crying peace and safety. <laughs> what can the trumpets be a warning of, right? Well, a trumpet can be uh, to signal an attack on an enemy in the Scripture, which I believe we are seeing, as it was with Gideon's army, which was an army of God, which brought down a worldly army. And when they blew the trumpets, the enemy destroyed themselves. Is not the enemy army the deep state in our day? Amen. Is not Gideon a type of the man-child? Amen. A trumpet also announced the anointing of a new king, whom I believe is Jesus, coming in the body of the son of David, man-child reformers, as a repeat of history on a larger scale. 
This seems to be tied to the beginning of the tribulation. All of this is tied to the beginning of the tribulation. Okay, a seven-day feast for the bride. Andrew Galenus sent this on 10-1, just a couple of days before 10-3. Amen. On October the 1st, 2022, at 6.54 a.m., I was awakened from a dream where over what sounded like a corporate office intercom speaker, I heard a trumpet sound, followed by this announcement from the voice of a young man. We will be holding a feast day for Rosh Hashanah, and the Feast of Trumpets for your sister. Mm. Well, the symbol of this coming was, of course, Rosh Hashanah. Okay, for your sister. I believe this is talking about the bride, the marriage feast of seven day-slash-years. So, as you know, the marriage feast was when uh, the bridegroom... um, Fellowship with the bride over uh, a seven-day period, representing a seven-year period, when the man-child uh, leads the, the bride in the wilderness, also the church in the wilderness. The church is the larger group. The bride is the smaller group, which has been chosen out of the church. So then Andrew said, I immediately woke up. I want to mention that I'm a little ignorant of some of the Jewish feast days and holidays, so I was not aware of the fact that Rosh Hashanah and the Feast of Trumpets are one and the same until I looked it up later in the day. So things are getting very active at this time. I think we are close to the manifestation of the man-child anointing. Again, I'm saying... Receive it by faith. Uh, But we're close to the manifestation of the man-child anointing who then chooses the bride. Remember, Jesus went forth and chose the bride. You, 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 follow me, you know, and so on and so forth. And John the Baptist looked at him and said, He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. He chose the bride, the first fruits. So, back to my... My own notes, I have thought for many years that the Feast of Trumpets would begin the tribulation. And uh, the Alliance has said that we're entering the storm. Has already said this. And also uh, begins on a new moon, which makes for great darkness, right? And the Alliance has warned of ten days of darkness coming. Signs signs come before the actual fact because these are warnings of what's about to happen, right? So, the Alliance has warned of ten days of darkness, which is imminent, they say, in which all communications will go down except the EBS, the Emergency Broadcast System, what they're now calling it the EAS, or Emergency Alert System, which is announcing the D-class of the deep state's horrendous crimes. That's what they're saying. 
So the tribulation begins with a firm covenant with many for seven days, representing seven years. Okay? I believe the covenant is here, and it is the alliance of nations of the world to bring down the deep state Babylon, which has invaded all nations through various demonic means, including false fake voting and so on and so forth. So, in effect, we are having the first worldwide civil war, and it is in all the world. Vanessa saw in a recent dream the alliance, including Russia, attacking the deep state U.S. forces underground. And the deep state had uh, run out of ammunition. So, of course, Cyrus Trump will conquer the deep state Babylon. Amen. Trumpets were also used in Scripture to warn of a coming attack of an enemy in what appears like nuclear war in Joel 2, 1-14. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion. So that's the bride. This message is to Zion the bride. They had already conquered the northern ten tribes and Judah. But they couldn't conquer Zion the bride. And here's why. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain, Mount Zion. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. The inhabitants of the land tremble. A day of darkness and gloominess. There's that day of darkness, right? A day of clouds and thick darkness, as the dawn spread upon the mountains. A great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after them, even to the years of many generations. A fire devoureth before them, before them, Mm -hmm. and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Hmm. So here we see uh, God is bringing about the wilderness, ready for God's people to go into the wilderness, and it's probably a nuclear war. Biological, too. I don't think you can separate that, but yea, and none hath escaped them. I think this is talking about a nuclear war. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses. As horsemen do they run. Well, we know the first horse of the tribulation is the white horse with its rider, Jesus, in the man-child body. And the second red horse that follows him is world war, as we saw in Revelation 6, 1 through 4. Like the noise of chariots on the top of the mountains do they leap, like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble. Sounds like nuclear war to me. As a strong people set in battle array. So after the nuking, it could be a continual invasion. 
At their presence, the peoples are in anguish. All faces are waxed pale. They run like mighty men. They claim, they climb the wall like men of war, and they march every one on his ways, and they break not their ranks. By the way, what timing is this? Well, if you're going down, it's talking about the timing of the former and latter rain, which is what? At the beginning of the tribulation period. When, it, when Israel went into the wilderness, they were anointed under the cloud, which is the Holy Spirit, to go into the wilderness, which has been created by what? Uh, I believe a nuclear war. Neither doth one thrust another. They march every one in his path, and they burst through the weapons and break not off their course. They leap upon the city, they run upon the wall, they climb up into the houses, they enter in at the windows like a thief. The earth quaketh before them. The heavens tremble. Now, the heavens trembling seems to be something added to the earthquaking. What would do that? What would do both? Nuclear. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. What would cover up the heavens? Uh, Nuclear war. And the Lord uttereth his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word. Yes, he brought them against the whole world. And uh, now they've come to Zion, and they're about to fail. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? So, he's speaking to the bride. Verse 12, Yet even now, says the Lord, turn ye unto me with all of your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. He didn't repent of this army conquering the northern ten tribes before they got here. He repented in front of Zion, when they were coming up to Zion. Who knoweth whether he will not turn and repent and leave a blessing behind him? And he did in Zion. Even a meal offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. Well, notice that in the first verse uh, that this condition and promise of escaping this war was only given to Jerusalem, Zion, the bride. For this beast had already conquered the northern ten tribes and Judah, except for Zion. The deep state has uh, made war on apostate Christianity by chemtrail spraying, poison food, diseases, vaccines, uh, sword, you know, all the things that that uh, Babylon used to bring down the apostate people of God. By vaccines, and those who do not know God as their healer and savior, who are dying in an increasing geometric progression by the millions, because they trusted in wicked men. Cursed is the man that trusteth in man. Yes, 
They don't know what is so clearly shown in the Word of God. Then they claim they believe the Word of God. Hmm. So who have they trusted in? Their leaders. Seek out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, this is about words just received by faith at random of world war coming from God. John 3.27 John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it have been given him from heaven. God is the only sovereign. Psalm 47 and 2 For the Lord Most High is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. He runs things, including the devil. Verse 5 God is gone up with a shout, the Lord with the shout of a trumpet. There it is. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises unto our King. Sing praises. This is what the angel's been getting us to do. Sing high praises of God. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. God reigneth over the nations. God sitteth upon His holy throne. Isaiah 24, 17-20 Again, these are words received just we just received by faith at random. And um, fear and the pit and the snare are upon thee O inhabitant of the earth. Hmm. And it shall come to pass that he who fleeth from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit. Well, you know, <clears throat> they they want this fear tactic to drive people into that one world order for safety. Okay. Trusting in man again. Um, and he that cometh up out of the midst of the pit shall be taken in the snare, for the windows on high are opened, and the foundations of the earth tremble. Hmm. The earth is utterly broken. The earth is rent asunder. The earth is shaken violently. World nuclear war? Hmm. They've even had earthquakes recently that registered all over the earth. So don't th- say that this can't happen. So the earth shall stagger like a drunken man and shall sway to and fro like a hammock. And the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it and it shall fall and not rise again. Is that a polar shift? I would say so. Um, Again, I'm not getting into the area of, uh, which I know is uh, true, of uh, Planet X. But, I'll say, so we, we have been told that the election will be delayed for a month or more while a false flag nuclear standoff occurs with the U.S. coast under missile attack. (laughs) 
resulting in social unrest in major cities, all of which would lead to military deployment and martial law. They want martial law. So you can go out there and just take down the enemies. They want martial law, and they're going to create it themselves. (laughs) And others are saying there won't end up being an election. Okay. And, of course, if these things happen, I would say they're probably right. You know, it won't end up happening at all. Uh, Even though they might call a delay, uh, it may not ever happen. Okay. Russian nuclear exchange with the U.S. This was given to Garrett Crawford, 42922. I dreamed that everyone was stocking up on food at a grocery store late at night. Well, insiders are warning to have at least three to six months of food stored up. As far as believers go, we know that God shall supply our every need according to his riches and glory. Whatever food you got, if you take care of your neighbors around you that don't know any of this is going to come to pass, you're going to need to multiply your food. Jesus multiplied the food they had, right? I saw many people rushing at the last minute to get prepared. Something happened. There was a general sense of uncertainty in the air. Many who had been expecting an event to happen were already prepared. And it may be that these will have to help those around them, and miracles of provision will happen as well. Amen. I had a flashback to the beginning of the day, and it was light outside and the sun was out. I was walking through the parking lot of the grocery store, and the word of the Lord came to me saying, At this time the wise will shine brighter than the sun and will instruct many. Mm-hmm. That's in agreement with what Daniel said, right? The man-child reformers will be anointed with the wisdom of Jesus and will instruct many in the way of righteousness. And I think this may be being used in a more general term than the specific time. The next thing I knew, uh, the scene changed, and I was at my dad's house in Bethel, representing the Father's house of bread, Bethel. Those feeding on the bread from heaven, Jesus Christ, the word of the Lord, will be in the rest. I remember watching the war in Ukraine. This kind of points out the timing of this, right? Taking place over my dad's house like an open vision. But it was something tangible that I was actually experiencing. So like the death angel that passed over the houses of the Israelites, this war and its fallout will pass over the elect of God. I saw that America had been assisting Ukraine. That's what they're doing. I even saw America launching attacks to aid Ukraine. Yes, that's what they've been doing. 
But there was a grave mistake made, and an American missile had been launched accidentally, and it hit a Russian target. It was the target, so how could it have been accidental? (laughs) Will this be accidental or on purpose? The deep state has been provoking the nuclear option and would love to escalate this conflict to continue to deflect away from the D-class of all their evil crimes that are coming to light and to depopulate and try to derail the 2022 midterm elections so that they can hold on to power. And also, it was admitted that the U.S. helped the Ukrainians sink the Russian flagship Moskva, and it was an American missile. And no one would admit this unless they wanted the Russians to retaliate. But it seems that the deep state did admit this. Hmm. Okay, in other words, in your face, right? So this accident... Caused the whole world to stop, Garrett said. Everyone wondered what Russia would do, but no one expected that Russia would retaliate against America. Well, I I suspect that people who are on the right uh, know that Putin is part of the alliance, and he's been working with America to take down the Nazis. Some people don't know that. Of course, they don't. They only watch the the false flag news. <laughs> so, but Putin has come out publicly and warned that any attack on Russia by NATO or U.S. and Western forces during this Ukraine conflict would be reciprocated, presumably against the deep state, because he knows it's the deep state who is his enemy, not America. And I, I believe when he retaliates, he's going to take out deep state cities. So if you're in one of them, get out. Then I watched what, hap- what appeared to be a large missile silo open and a projectile come out and was fired at America. The missile hit America inside her borders and everyone was in a state of shock. No one actually believed Russia would retaliate, but they did, and with fierce wrath. Putin and Russia has been fighting the deep state, and they would know who this missile is coming from, and they would pick their targets. The weapon they used made seven waves of fire blast throughout America like fiery shock waves. Well, that's um, seven different explosions. The sound of the weapon was like a siren. Every blast was accompanied by the most ominous siren sound. Seven blasts and seven sirens. Well, this is a multiple warhead missile. And also, could seven blasts announce the approach of the seven trumps of the tribulation? Hmm. Could be. 
After the last blast, I looked outside and America was on fire. I asked, and Garrett said, it could have been multiple warheads. That's what I asked him, if it could have, and he said yes. It was just one missile launch from each side. And after Russia struck with their missile, they did not continue. It was like an eye for an eye. I felt in the dream that America was playing a dangerous game with Russia that backfired. Mm-hmm. Even though the military was moved, uh, interceptor has moved interceptor missiles to the coast in the night, they evidently didn't intercept this. Their missiles have uh, multiple warheads that spread out to different areas and are considered by many to be unstoppable due to their evasive maneuvers. So everyone in America was in complete disbelief. Obviously, their satellite system did not stop this, and I have said why I believe it won't stop this and couldn't stop this. It's because of witchcraft and because of God who overrules all of man's plans. Everyone in America was in complete disbelief. I heard a man say, I can't believe they did it. I can't believe they actually attacked us. And after the blast, I surveyed the damage, and my dad's house was still standing. Both of my dogs were in the house with me and survived. I opened the front door. (laughs) Who's the front door? Jesus. And my cat was there. Many of the rebellious who are God's elect will return to the Father's house of bread. Mm Mm-hmm. He had survived the carnage even though he had been outside of the house. And then I woke up. Okay, let's pray and ask for mercy of the Lord on this. Uh, Revelation 6 and 2 says, And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat thereon had a bow, and there was given unto him a crown, and he came forth conquering and to conquer. So this man-child has been anointed king, given a crown. And he's conquering. And when he opened the second seal, how is he conquering? I heard the second living creature say, Come, and another horse came forth, a red horse, and to him that sat thereon was given to take peace from the earth, and that they should slay one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. I think the greatest swords they've ever made would be nuclear and biological. Okay, here's another one. Bride protected as the wicked are nuked. Bill Steenland, 423.22. I dreamed I was in my kitchen preparing dinner representing the preparation of the spiritual food to feed God's elect. And I was suddenly translated to a place in the mountains. I believe this represents the choosing of the bride by bringing her to Mount Zion, which is a place of safety from the beast. Right. 
And although I was incredibly surprised about the miracle, I knew why the Lord had done it. Mm-hmm. I had a horrible feeling and immediately started searching the skies. I said to myself, Oh my God! This is it, and it must have started. There was a light orange flash way, way off in the distance. Well, let me point out that the people to be judged will be spiritually far from Zion and the presence of God. I saw the top of a mushroom cloud. The Lord was letting me know nuclear weapons are going off in a distance that I could couldn't physically see. Again, I want to say, I believe if Putin retaliates against a missile thrown against them, he would take out deep state cities. This is where most of the crime in the United States happens. And this is where um, the leftists coagulate. So I asked if we should pray this down by faith, and I got a no. And when I forwarded this dream to Eve, she cast lots, uh, asking the Lord if we can pray this down, and she received three tails for no. So has God planned to chasten the United States and take down the deep state cities, right? In spite of their silly thousand years of peace on a wicked nation? But there is no peace to the wicked, saith the Lord. They should have read the word. I asked, is this the deep state cities being destroyed? And got yes. As in a nuclear attack, there will be desolation, waste, and astonishment, as the Lord said in Ezekiel 35, 2-4. Son of man, set thy face against Mount Sir and prophesy against it. So, this is the leadership of the Edomites, who are Esau's seed, who persecuted and betrayed their own brother, Israel, or the church. Okay. And say unto it, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I am against thee, O Mount Sir, and I will stretch out my hand against thee, and I will make thee a desolation and an astonishment. I will lay thy cities, or congregations, waste, and thou shalt be desolate, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Well, it's time for you who are uh, of God to come out from among them and be separate. Little mushroom clouds appeared in the background and and stuck in the sky as if it was some computer program that pinned the location of the blast in the distance. Well, of course, a computer program um, is what sends these to their appointed destination. Um, and as I moved around, the symbols would stay in their places. There were many of these nukes going off. Okay. I continued to walk up this hill to an abandoned house with no windows or doors. 
It was made of concrete and looked like the place the Lord was sending me to hide. Well, representing the refuge that God has prepared for His people to be hidden in the rock. Their freedom to come and go is unhindered by doors. The house had a bunch of silver everywhere. The Lord will supply for the financial and physical needs of His people in the times ahead. Some say ultimately silver will be more valuable than gold. I thought I could barter using them, so I started to break them apart and put them in a backpack. It stuck. It struck me odd that whoever was there previously didn't see the value in the silver. Well, um... In the RV, it seems like um, the money is going to come very easily and quickly. So, because uh, escaping is overcoming, uh, is I would say overwhelmingly more important to people, they're not going to worry about their things and their money. And then I looked out of the little concrete building, and there was a massive food processing plant nearby. And I remember almost laughing because the Lord had put me right next to a food processing plant. By the way, that they have continued to burn them down. <laughs> so in order to bring about a famine, which comes after the war, right? I thought, oh, oh, wow, that's that. Thank you. Thank you, God. Amen. So food and money will be plentiful among the bride as the Lord spoke. Isaiah 61, 5 through 8 says, And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations. And in their glory shall ye boast yourselves. Hmm. Instead of your shame, you shall have double, and instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, that means uh, people who have come out of bondage and they're in their land, their promised land, they shall possess double. There are still multitudes that are in bondage and have not come out. But the bride has come out. Everlasting joy shall be unto them, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery. One thing we noticed that was common among the factious is they're a bunch of thieves, and they steal from their own brethren, just like Judas. With iniquity, I hate robbery with iniquity, and I will give them their recompense in truth, so God will repay. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. So I asked, will this devastation come after the redistribution of wealth planned in the GCR? And received a yes. Uh, obviously, it has to happen before then, right? 
Eve asked for a confirming word for this and received Psalm 81, 5 through 7 in context. He appointed it in Joseph for a testimony. When he went out over the land of Egypt, where I heard a language that I knew not, I removed his shoulder from off the burden. His hands were freed from the basket. Thou callest in trouble, and I delivered thee. I answered thee in the secret place of thunder. I proved thee in the waters of Meribah. Selah. As the dream changed, I was still in the house, but was talking to a woman dressed in camouflage. I believe this represents the bride who is hidden in the secret place of the Most High. She was explaining to me where we were in the mountains. She told me the state, the mountain range, and the roadway. I knew more people were coming, some of them good and some of them bad. So many will come and be saved in the revival, right? And the the bad will be uh, filtered out, as the Lord said. They, they will not come among them. Eve asked for a word by faith at random for Bill's dream and received Ezekiel twenty one twenty eight through 32. And thou, son of man, prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord concerning the children of Ammon and concerning their reproach. And say thou, a sword, a sword is drawn for the slaughter it is furbished to cause it to devour, that it may be as lightning. I asked if this represented a swift taking down of those who factioned against their own kinsmen, and got yes. And this could be so-called Americans against Americans, and so-called Christians against their brothers, right? We know the deep state is... uh, in, in America is Americans, but they're against the Americans. And uh, the, the uh, faction in Christianity, uh, they're against their brothers. So the Lord's going to repay. And while they see for thee uh, false visions, and while they divine lies unto thee to lay, upon, to lay thee upon the necks of the wicked that are deadly wounded, whose day is come in the time of the iniquity of the end. Cause it to return into its sheath. In the place where thou wast created, in the land of thy birth, will I judge thee. And I will pour out mine indignation upon thee, and I will blow upon thee with the fire of my wrath, and I will deliver thee into the hand of brutish men, skillful to destroy. Thou shalt be for fuel to the fire. Thy blood shall be in the midst of the land, and thou shalt be no more remembered, for I, the Lord, have spoken it. Well, I believe um, a fake nuclear war turning into a real nuclear war 
will bring about a backlash against Christians. The world knows that Trump's base are Christians, and they don't differentiate Christians from New Age people. We see that the people out there who are leaking everything out for the Alliance are New Age people. And they're silly. <laughs> I just got to say. Um, but the world doesn't see any difference between them and the Christians. And, of course, the New Agers have lied to them talking peace and safety. So this will set the stage for what? Sudden destruction. And in the second three and a half years of the tribulation, uh, which is in Revelation 13, the world beast will make war against the Christians. Well, now, look out there. You see multitudes of people gathering around Trump, praying for him, so on and so forth. A lot of them are Christians. Okay. And uh, what would turn the whole world, including America, <clears throat> against the Christians? Because if we are starting the tribulation, and I do believe we are, or will be very shortly, uh, because remember, signs come before the fact comes. That's so that you have a warning, right? And um, if that's so, um, then this war against the Christians proves that everybody has for some reason become angry with them. So if they believe that Trump and the Alliance started all of this by uh, bringing a, uh, a fake world war, which turned into a real world war, who's going to get the blame for this? I believe the Christians are going to get the blame for all of this. And um, God is in control. God knows what he's doing. He, um, he knows that the church in the tribulation period is very carnal and needs a crucifixion. What would drive the church to seek God with all of their heart? Would it be peace and safety all around them and the affirmation of the people? All? No. It would be the people around them turning against them. God's people have always thrived under persecution. I'm talking about Christian-wise. They have thrived under persecution. In, in uh, prosperity and uh, safety, uh, no. No. They've got too much reason to go their own way, do their own thing, please their flesh, so on and so forth. So I believe that 
this whole thing is going to be a backlash against the Christians, especially since there's just a short time between these two things, the beginning of the trib, and all of a sudden, all of the world, beast. By the way, the beast is not a man. The beast is a corporate man, just like Christ is a corporate body in the earth. Antichrist is a corporate body in the earth. Yes, they have heads. There's no doubt about that. But if you're talking about the body of the beast, this is the world outside of Christ. The beast is all the world outside of Christ. There's only two men in the earth, Jesus said. (laughs) So, okay. So the world... And besides that, I want to say this, that um, the slander that's out there has turned so many people crazy uh, because slander does that. It, it, is, um, it is used by the witchcraft crowd in order to make people turn against the very people that they need. And that's what's been happening in the church and uh, what's been happening in the world. So, um, and the world knows that Trump's base, or they believe that Trump's base are the Christians. And, um, and of course, these um, New Agers have lied to them about their peace and safety and uh, a deception that they're going to find out. All the New Agers are going to find out they lied. Maybe some of them will turn to God when they find out the book of Revelation is true because they don't believe the book of Revelation. So maybe some of them will turn around when they find out they've been told a lie and preached this lie. And uh, people will turn against them if they don't turn around. I mean, obviously, they will be Judases. They will turn around, many of them, and go in the opposite direction and say, yep, we were lied to. So, I believe that this war is coming is to prepare the world to be a wilderness for God's people. And uh, people say, where is the wilderness? I think you're getting ready to find out. Not only is the economy crashing to the ground, the dollar uh, crashing to the ground, and uh, they don't care uh, that Biden sends all the dollars over there to the Ukraine. Um, The alliance doesn't care about that. They want the dollars to be out of circulation. So they send them over there in the form of um, all kinds of military equipment, and the Russians promptly blow it all up. So, by the way, the Russians at this time are on America's side very much. They were sent by the alliance to go in there and take out the Nazis and um, the underground tunnels where they were, um, you know... um, holding children to sacrifice to, and um, they're a bunch of perverts. Nazis are always perverts. Always. 
And uh, they were uh, brought into this country under Operation Paperclip. And uh, evil companionship corrupt good morals. So they started spreading. They started spreading. They they uh, used their positions to bring other people into the fold through blackmail, through uh, whatever method necessary. And um, so they have spread. And it was because they brought those Nazis over here into America because they considered their their inventions most important, more important than the people. So God, um, God is ordaining this whole thing. He is the one that's bringing about the book of Revelation as some of the verses we, we, we shared today. It's the Lord that is doing this. And He's doing it for the sake of His people. Because suddenly, when the people of God, who are pretty blind, uh, are going into the tribulation, you have a very short time left before everybody who is of God has to come into the kingdom. A very short time. What is God going to do to bring about these people uh, accepting their cross and turning to Jesus? Well, now we know what He's going to do. He's going to turn the whole world against His people. Just like it says He did the Egyptians. He turned the heart of the Egyptians to hate His people. And where were they going? Into the wilderness. What was the wilderness? The tribulation. He turned their hearts to hate His people. God is going to turn the world against apostate Christians. And this will cause them to need God, to need healing, to need deliverance, to need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, all such things as they have rejected. So, you're talking about a revival happening in the midst of much oppression. <clears throat> now, the bride's already gone through their oppression at the hands of the factions. And uh, those factions which have uh, persecuted and crucified uh, the bride, which includes, of course, the head of the bride, which is David. The, the man-child ministries, right? So, uh, they've already been matured. They're, ha- they're coming, they're in their great and terrible day of the Lord because those people are being judged as we speak. And um, for what they did to God's people, they're being judged. Their own curses, the angels told us, that their own curses have been turned back upon their heads. And yet, they haven't come to us saying they're sorry for what they did. Many of them are just going to pass away in the midst of this situation. Some of them are not, because we've received dreams about some of them coming out of the faction and returning to God. And we pray for that. We pray for that regularly. And we know God's going to do it. But um, the wicked, especially 
the leadership, like um, um, Zedekiah, you know, who was um, captured by the Babylonian army and destroyed, and his sons. So um, Haman, who was destroyed, and his sons. Uh, you see, the parallels are all there tell you what's going to happen. The things that have been are the things that shall be, and the things that have been done are the things that shall be done. There's no new thing under the sun. So God's shown us over and over and over uh, the sequence of events here. And it's all for one purpose. God didn't send uh, the destroyer into Egypt to destroy His people. He sent the destroyer into Egypt to destroy the wicked. His people had a Passover. They ate the lamb. And if we eat the lamb who is the word of God today, we have a Passover. We need to heat the head you know, which is the mind of Christ. We need it to to be inside of us and are creating uh, Himself in us. Uh, the legs, which is the walk, and the inwards of the Lamb, uh, the heart of the Lamb. Uh, God's people don't really realize that th- their purpose here is to come into the image. I mean, you are what you eat, Right? is to come into the image of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. They don't think that's possible because of their apostate preachers who are going to be removed by God for their lies. Those that don't repent will be removed very roughly. And uh, But God has set this whole thing up to quickly, in a very short period of time, uh, bring God's people to Him and open their eyes to the Word of God. I tell you, they're going to be looking in the Word of God to find out where they missed it because they didn't fly away. Hmm. They did not fly away as they were told. I had a Baptist preacher just tell me this yesterday. I believe we're not going to be here. I said, well... You'll soon know. <laughs> That's what I told him. Well, you'll soon you'll soon know. Yeah, when all these things start happening, and uh, the fear of the Lord comes on them because they don't have any fear of the Lord. Their doctrine has delivered them of the fear of the Lord. They're all going to fly away. They're not going to see the beast. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a rude awakening for them and the New Age people. A rude awakening. Nothing's going to happen the way they've heard. Then they're going to realize that they're liars that they they adopted out of the cemeteries, or seminaries, excuse me, um, have uh, deceived them. And didn't really read the Word of God. You know, a lot of people that come to us 
I, I've heard testimonies of many, many people who've come to us and they said, I prayed and asked the Lord to show me the truth. I mean, they were getting, beginning to realize from the Word of God that something was wrong. And, um, and so God led them to us and we shared them what, well, this is what the Bible says. It's just what the Bible says. And it's very clear. And then they say, why didn't I see this before? You know, it is right there in the black and white, you know. But they deny the Word of God. Their idols blind them from seeing the truth of the Word of God. There needs to be a repentance. And I'm afraid that's only going to happen when the fear of the Lord is restored. And what we're looking at and what we've looked at today will restore the fear of the Lord. Lord, we thank you. We ask you to draw your people, to awaken your people, to deliver your people from these um, these liars, and um, have them ready to follow the reformers. Obviously, there's going to be a judgment upon their leadership because they're going to be ready to follow the reformers into the wilderness who will have a highly motivated audience um, who will lead them in the true ways of Christ, the Word of God, will show them where to find the truth and uh, deliver them from this evil apostasy which is Babylonish too. I mean, this is all Babylon invading the church. Uh, the mother of harlots. A lot of people look at that and they say, uh-huh, that's the Catholic church. Well, wait a minute. Uh, it says that she is the mother of the harlots. <laughs> Who is it that came out of the mother? All of these denominations? <laughs> yeah. So pretty soon people are going to recognize that they have been deceived by the harlot and that God is going to open eyes. He says, come out of her, my people, and don't partake of her judgments, right? My people. Where is his people? In the harlots. In the daughters of the harlot. Yes, the Catholic Church is a mother of harlots, but this goes all the way back to Cain and Abel. And uh, so it's much bigger than the Catholic Church, even though the Catholic Church is a mother of harlots and is receiving considerable judgment right now at this time. And they have taken down many of their pedophile leaders already. And uh, that's going to be well known as soon as they overthrow the deep state media and begin shooting over their heads uh, with the truth. So this is going to be a rude awakening for a lot of people. And they're going to find out, too, that their pastors who told them to go and take this vaccine are a bunch of murderers. 
because they didn't trust in the Lord. They didn't believe the Word of God, as Christians are now telling these people what the Word of God says. This is what the Word of God says. We wrote a little book, a little quick book, to help people to know what this is all about. God has promised to be our healer. He wants us to put our faith in Him. The righteous shall live from faith. Well, who are all these other people? They're not righteous. They're not living by faith. They're trusting in their idols. And their preachers did this to them. Wonder what's going to happen to them for doing that. This is being discovered uh, vastly right now because this geometric progression of um, people dying from the vaccine, it's very plain, very clear, uh, was uh, pre-planned um, and released to depopulate. And it is doing a fantastic job. I can see exactly why the Scripture talks about how many people are going to die in the seven years. It's... um. It's spreading. You don't even have to take the shot. You can get too close to people who do take the shot. So you see, it's spreading. Well, Father, we ask you in Jesus' name to open the eyes of the people that they will not take any more shots from any of these people for any reason whatsoever, no matter what plague is out there. So, uh, which they put out there, obviously. So, um, Lord, thank you for opening the eyes of your people. Let them look around them. Let them see they've been lied to. Let them understand that uh, your word is the truth. And it's never been changed. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're the same. You still heal the sick. Even vaccinated sick people get healed. By God, So God is merciful. He knows that you did this because you trusted in man. He still offers repentance and faith to you to be uh, delivered from this curse. Um, talked to the Baptist preacher down the road here just a little bit, and he was under a big curse, a great curse from taking the shots. And I tried to tell him. I think Michael tried to tell him too. Uh, you know, you know. And so, and so, his health went down to where he was saying he didn't think he was going to live much longer. So, I hope he gets the message out that this was not the way. We made a mistake. Amen. Well, Father, we ask for that. We ask that you grant grace to the people out there in these churches to look around and see that these people took a vaccination that didn't save them from so-called COVID, although it's not COVID at all. It's the vaccination that's deadly and then killing all the people. So, Lord, um, we just ask in Jesus' name, open their eyes, send people to them to point out what they have discovered. They say, follow the science. Well, <laughs> if you do that, you, you'll have to hang the deep state. Okay. So, Father, 
Um, your grace is sufficient for us. Thank you for granting your people repentance from putting their trust in man in any form or way, including, I might add, the alliance. And uh, just remember, one beast just conquers the previous beast. That's all. And they continue to do that all the way up until the end. And yes, they talk very religious. and uh, But they talk very antichrist too. So we know who they are. And we know who their front people are. These are people that are deceived. And so thank you, Father, for granting repentance to your people to get back to the Word. There's no solid ground to stand on but your Word. The people of the Word, Word, will escape. And the people who are in apostasy will be destroyed by Babylon. That's the thus saith the Lord. It is the Word of God. They destroyed the apostates. And today it's the apostates. They are apostates because it's their own fault. They did not look nor did they believe in the Word of God. You know, we've prayed for people who have gotten COVID and God heals them. Uh, I don't see uh, any problems there whatsoever. I see whole churches out there that have been taken down by this stuff. My, My son told me about one of them. The whole church was taken down by COVID, they called it. Okay. So, what is the deal here? I mean, um, obviously, the Lord is judging. And He's using man to do it. Amen. So, thank you, Lord, for this day. And thank you for turning your people around. Thank you for showing the truths of what's being shown here, Lord. And if we are missing it in any way, Lord, please show us. Uh, I can't see how it's possible that we are missing it. But if so, we want your truth, Lord. We seek your truth. We love your truth. Thank you for defending us. Thank you for revealing the deep state and the deep state Christians. There's a deep state in the church, too, by the way. And they're against the true Christians of God. They speak against the Holy Spirit. They speak against healing. They speak against deliverance. They speak. They are a deep state, and they're a bunch of criminals. And God is going to deal with them. So thank you, Father, for what you're doing. Thank you for calling your people out from among them to be separate, to be a separate, sanctified people, uh, set apart by the Word of God in their hearts. Amen. Well, all right. God bless you, saints. We'll do this again sometime. Michael Hare's coming with his um, uh, word to share with the people, and we just bless him, and we bless them in Jesus' name. Thank you so much, Father, for what you're doing. Amen. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. It's so good to be back with you again. Let's go to the Lord. Father God, I just praise you and I glorify you for the things that you're doing. I praise you, Father, for your word that gives us 
all that we need to know and our standard by which we live and walk by and talk by. And I praise you for it, Father. In your word, Lord, it says to hold fast our confessions. And Lord, I ask that you be with me today and anoint us to give out this uh, teaching on holding fast our confession. And Lord, let it be a a help to all who listen and an encouragement to go ahead and speak the word in those situations that we need your word in. And I thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Well, folks, that's what I want to talk to you today today about, and that is holding fast our confession. Hebrews 4 and 14 says this, Having then a great high priest who hath passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confessions. It says we are to hold fast to our confession. In the third chapter of Hebrews, Christianity is called the Great Confession. Hebrews 3, 1 and 2 says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, even Jesus. Well, what confession am I to hold fast? I am to hold fast to my confession of the absolute integrity of the Bible. I'm to hold fast to the confession of the redemptive work of Christ. I am to hold fast to my confession of the new creation, of receiving the life and nature of God. And I am to hold fast to the confession that God is the strength of my life. I am to hold fast to the confession that surely he hath borne my sicknesses and carried my diseases and that by his stripes I am healed, as it says in Isaiah 53. And I find it real difficult sometimes to hold fast to the confession of perfect healing when there's pain in my body. And I made the discovery that I had been making two confessions. I had been confessing the absolute truthfulness of the word of God, but at the same time, I was making a confession that I was not healed. And if you had asked, do you believe that by his stripes you are healed? I would have told you, yeah, I believe that. But in the next breath, I would have said this, but the pain is still there. You know what? My second confession nullified the first. In reality, I had two confessions. First, a confession of my perfect healing and redemption in Christ. And second, that the redemption and healing were not a fact. And that's when the battle began to gain the mastery over my confession until I learned to have but one confession. And if I confess that my God shall supply every need of mine, as it says in Philippians 4, 19, I, I must not nullify that confession by saying, yeah, God supplies my need, but I can't pay my rent. I can't pay the telephone bill. You know, faith holds fast to the confession of the word. 
since knowledge holds fast to the confession of physical evidences. If I accept physical evidence against the word of God, I nullify the word in my speech, as far as I'm concerned. But I hold fast to my confession that God's word is true, and that by his stripes I am healed, that my God does supply all of my needs, and I hold fast to that confession in the face of apparent contradiction, and the and the Lord God is bound to make good my confession. And a lot of believers have failed when things become difficult because they lost their confession. And while the sun was shining brightly, their confessions were vigorous, strong, and clear. But when the storms came, the testings came, and the adversary was taken advantage of, they gave up their testimony. Every time you confess disease and weakness and failure, you magnify the adversary above the Father, and you destroy your own confidence in the Word. You are to hold fast to your confession in the face of apparent defeat. You're supposed to study the word until you know what your rights are, and then you hold fast to them. And now some make confessions without any foundations, and then the enemy whips and beats them up badly. We are to find out what our rights are. For instance, you know that he says, Surely he hath borne our sicknesses and carried our diseases. Now you can make your confessions, can't you? It says in Romans 9, 8, 37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. And right there, you can make your confession. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. First John 4, 4. There's another confession right there. You need to stand by your confessions through thick and thin, through the good report and the evil report. Because you know that your confession is according to the word of God. Revelation twelve eleven says that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Too few Christians have recognized the place that confession holds in the scheme of the things around us. And whenever the word confession is used, a lot of times we instinctively think of confessing our sins, our weaknesses, and our failures. Folks, that's the negative side of this question. Christianity is called the great confession. Confessing is affirming something that we believe. It's testifying of something that we know. And it's witnessing for our truth that we have embraced. Confession holds a very large place in Christianity. Jesus planned that this great life and love should be given to the world through testimony. And that's what we call the confession of our lips. Testifiers and witnesses and confessors have been the great leaders, revolutionary life that Jesus gave to the world. The major problem that we face then is to know what we are to confess. Our confession centers around several things. First, what God in Christ has wrought for us. Second, 
what God through the word and the spirit has wrought in us. Third, what we are to the father in Christ. And last of all, what God can do through us or what the word will do through our lips. You can't confess or witness about things you don't know. It's what you have seen and heard that counts in the courtroom. It's what you know personally about Jesus Christ and about what you are in Christ that counts. There are way too few of us that dare to confess to the world what the word declares and that and what we are in Christ. Take this scripture right here in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Wherefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. That is a revolutionary thing. It would be for the church to make a confession like that. They're not just forgiven sinners, not poor, weak, staggering, sinning church members. They are new creations created in Christ Jesus with the life of God, the nature of God, and the ability of God in them. Man, what a stir that would make in the modern church for all of us to confess that we are absolutely redeemed. Ephesians chapter 1, 7 and 8 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. What that would mean is that Satan's dominion has been broken, praise God, that he lost his dominion over your life the moment, the very moment you became a new creation. You received a new Lord, and that was Jesus Christ, and he is to reign over you. Satan's dominion ended right there, and Jesus' dominion began. Disease and sickness can no longer lord it over you. The old habits no longer lord it over you because you are a new creation created in Christ. And what a change there would be if this scripture became a reality. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God, and I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with thy right hand, with the right hand of my righteousness. Isaiah 41 and 10. Romans 8 and 31 said, If God's for us, who's against us? And that is the most revolutionary thing that has ever been taught. And that's your confession as you stand before the world. God is with me this morning, glory to God. 1 John 4 and 4 declares, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And you fearlessly walk out there and say, God is in me now. The master of creation is in me. And what a confession that really is. Because you face life fearlessly now. You know now that greater is he that is in you than all the forces that can come against you. 
You're facing bills that you can't pay. You're facing enemies that you have no ability to conquer, and yet you face them fearlessly. And you say with triumph, as it says in Psalms 23 and 5, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. I'm filled with joy. I'm filled with victory because God has taken me over. He's fighting my battles now. And I am not afraid of circumstances because I can do all things in him who strengthens me, it says in Philippians 4 and 13. He's not only my strength, but he is also my right hand. He is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He throws light upon life's problems so that I know that I can act intelligently. He is my salvation, my deliverance from every trap that the enemy has set for me, from every snare in which he would try to enslave me. Psalms 27.1 said, The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I ain't afraid of nothing because I have no fear, because this God of omnipotence is on my side. And that's going to be my continual confession. And I confess that I have a redemption that God planned and wrought in Christ. I am a new creation of which he himself is the author and the finisher. I have a righteousness that permits me to stand in his presence as though sin had never been. I not only have righteousness reckoned to me, but I also have righteousness imparted to me in the new nature that I have received from him. I have received his nature, his life, and in this life and nature is the life of God. This makes me righteous even as he is righteous. And folks, that's my confession, and this gives me boldness when I pray. This builds my faith, and it makes my way sure. And I'm no longer hemmed in by limitations, because I am united with the limitless one. He is the vine, and I am the branch. And as a branch, I bear his fruit. Because the vine is imparting to me the fullness of his life. I know the reality of this because it has become a very part of my being. I know I love because he has shed abroad his love in my heart through the Holy Spirit. Just like it says in Romans 5 and 5. And I know that his nature in me is love. His love ability has gained the mastery for now I can love in whatever circumstance that I'm placed in. And I can say with joy, sin shall not have dominion over me. Romans 6 and 14. It can no longer lord itself over me. Circumstances can no longer hold me in bondage and hinder my usefulness to in the world. I not only have God's life in me, and this great Holy Spirit who raised up Jesus from the dead in me. But I also have the use of Jesus' name. He has given to me a legal right to use it. 
And my confession is that whatever I ask of the Father in his name, he gives to me. He has given me the power of attorney. I am using that power to help men. I am taking Jesus' place right now. He's working his own work through me, and he's living his own life in me. Jesus said in Mark 18 and 17, In my name shall they cast out demons. Folks, I'm exercising my rights. He said in Mark chapter 16 and 18, They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. My hands become the medium through which Jesus' life pours through. I am living the abundant life. I know my words are his words. His words broke the power of death of demons and heal the sick. And they do the same things through my lips. And this is my confession. This is my heart expressing itself through words in my lips. Confession is faith's way of expressing itself. Faith like love is only revealed through action and word. Folks, there's no faith without confession. Faith grows with your confession. Confession does several things to the believer. It locates him, it fixes the landmarks of his life, and it mightily affects his spirit, that inner man, when he makes his declaration. For instance, there is Romans 10, 9 and 10 said, Because if thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus as Lord and shalt believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There's two confessions involved here. First, a confession of the Lordship of Jesus. And second, that he has become the righteousness of God and is saved. Those are positive confessions. And the reason the majority of Christians are weak, though they're earnest, they are earnest, is that they have never dared to make a confession of what they are in Christ. And what you, as a Christian, have to do is to find out what you are in the mind of the Father and how he looks upon you, and then go ahead and confess it. And that can you can find all of those in the epistles. And when you find them in the epistles, you boldly make those confessions of what the Word declares that you are in Christ. And as you do this, your faith is going to soar And the reason your faith is throttled and held in bondage is that you've never dared to confess what God says you are. And I want you to remember that faith never grows beyond your confession. Your daily confession of what the Father is to you and what Jesus is now doing for you at the right hand of the Father and what the mighty Holy Spirit is doing in you is going to build a positive Solid faith life. You're not going to be afraid of any circumstances. You're not going to be afraid of any disease or of any condition anymore. You will fearlessly face life as a conqueror. 
And after a while, you'll find that Romans 8, 37 is true. It says, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. And you ain't never going to be a conqueror until you confess it. Now, let's talk about wrong confession. A wrong confession is the confession of defeat, the confession of failure, and of the supremacy of Satan. Talking about your combat with the devil, how he has hindered you and how he is holding you in bondage and keeping you sick. That's a confession of defeat. That's a wrong confession. It glorifies your enemy. It is an unconscious declaration that your father God is a failure. And most of the confessions that we hear today glorify the devil. They destroy faith and they hold you in bondage. The confession of your lips that have grown out of faith in your heart will absolutely defeat the adversary in every combat. And the confession of Satan's ability to hinder you and keep you from success gives Satan dominion over you and fills you with fear and weakness. But if you boldly confess your father's care and protection and declare that he that is in you is greater than any force around you, you're going to rise above satanic influence every time. And every time you confess your doubts and fears, your weaknesses and your disease, what you're doing, you're openly confessing that the word of God is not true and that God has failed to make it good. The word declares that with his stripes you were healed and surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our disease. And instead of confessing that he has borne my diseases and put them away, I confess that I still have them. And I take the testimony of my senses instead of the testimony of the word of God. And as long as I hold fast to my confession of weakness, sickness, and pain, I'm going to still have them. And I might search for years for this great man of God to pray the prayer of faith for me, and it's not going to be a Bit, bit of good because my unbelief destroys the effect of his faith. The believer who is always confessing his sins and his weaknesses is building weakness, failure, and sin into his consciousness. If we do sin, when we confess it, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, as he says in 1 John 1 and 9. When that confession has been made, don't ever refer to it again. It's not past history because history can be remembered. This is though it has never been. We ought not to never remind ourselves, oh, the Lord, of our failings or of our past mistakes. They are not. If you confess anything, confess that you stand complete in him, that what God has said in regard to your mistakes and blunders is absolutely true. And here's are several confessions every believer should make in Romans 10, 9 through 10. Because if thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus as Lord and shalt believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We confess 
the absolute lordship of Jesus and the absolute righteousness that is imparted to us in our redemption. We dare to confess before the world and before the throne of God that Jesus right now is our Lord and that we have received salvation and become the righteousness of God in him. We confess that we are new creations of which Jesus is the head and the Lord. The word has taken Jesus' place in our lives. And we are to obey the word as if it were Jesus, as if he stood right in our presence. Now, a second confession is found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. It says, casting all your anxiety upon him, for he cares for you. Well, we confess that we don't have any cares anymore. We don't have any anxieties. We don't have any burdens. We can never be unnerved and unfit for life's work. That our minds are complete and clear. Our spirits are free. Our testimony has the anointing of the Spirit upon it because he bears every burden. He carries every load and he meets every need. And a third confession is this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I don't want for money. I don't want for health. I don't want for rest. And I don't want for strength. And I do not want for anything. He is all that I need. And folks, that is a living reality and a life that is mine, bless God. And what a sense of security, of power, and of victory. Because you're not afraid to take your, take your stand on Philippians 4.19, which says, My God shall supply every need of mine, glory to God. And you loudly make your fourth confession that 1 Peter 2.24 is true. Every disease, every weakness, every infirmity, was laid on Jesus Christ, and you are free of them. And just as he bore your sin, he bore your diseases too. And you stand complete in Jesus, free from the burden, free from the power, free from the pain, and free from the effects of disease. And this confession gives you a healthy body, a clear mind, and a conquering spirit, glory to God. And your fifth confession is this, is that 1 Corinthians one thirty is absolutely true. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Christ has been made all these things unto us. And you don't need to pray for wisdom, as James told the babes in Christ to do. In James 1 and 5. Because Jesus is your wisdom. You don't have to ask him for righteousness. Because you have become the righteousness of God in him. You don't have to ask him for sanctify. To sanctify you. Because he is your sanctification. You don't have to pray for redemption. Because you are redeemed. He is your redemption. And what a confession to make before the whole world. 
Hebrews 4 and 14 says, let us hold fast our confession. Well, we found out in a little measure what our confession is. But folks, I'm telling you, there's a great deal more to it than what we've talked about so far. Your success and usefulness in the world are going to be measured by your confession and by the tenacity with which you hold fast to that confession under all circumstances or the opinions of men. You'll never yield to fear or listen to the voice of the senses. you stand by your confession knowing that God cannot and will not fail you. Now, there is a grave danger of dual confession. You confess his faithfulness, the absolute faithfulness of his word, yet at the same time you confess your sickness. You confess your weakness. You confess your lack of money, your lack of ability. You have confessed that he was your supplier, that he was your healer. You have confessed that you were healed by his stripes. Now you talk about your lack of ability to do this or that because of your sicknesses. You can't do the housework or you go about your business because you're not able to do it. Yet you have made your confession that he was the strength of your life and that with his stripes you were healed. Your confession of sickness and disease destroys what you are in Christ or what he is to you. And that's one of the most dangerous of all confessions. And you'll find out that you have been so carefully trained in the confession of wrong, of failure, of weakness, of sin, of sickness, and of want, that it will take a, a, a great deal of discipline through the word to cure you of this unholy habit. Now you make your confession and you stand by it. Few of us realize that our confession sometimes imprisons us. The right kind of confession will set you free. And it's not only our thinking, it's our words, our conversation that builds power or weakness into us. Our words are the coins in the kingdom of faith. Our words snare us and hold us in captivity, or they set us free and become powerful in the lives of others. And it's what we confess with our lips that really dominates our inner beings. We unconsciously confess what we believe. If we talk sickness, it's because we believe in sickness. If we talk weakness and failure, it's because we believe in weakness and failure. And it's surprising what faith people have in wrong things. They firmly believe in cancer. And they believe in ulcers of the stomach. They believe in tuberculosis and in all other kinds of COVID-19. Their faith in those diseases rises to the point where it utterly dominates them. It rules them. And they become absolute slaves to them. They get the habit of confessing their weakness. And their confession adds to the strength of their weakness. They confess their lack of faith and they are filled with doubts. They confess their fear and they become more fearful. They confess their fear of disease and the disease grows 
under the confession. They confess their lack and they build up a sense of lack that gains the supremacy in their lives. When we realize that we will never rise above our confession, we are getting to the place where God can really begin to use us. And you confess that by his stripes you are healed. Hold fast to your confession. And I'll tell you what, no disease can stand before you when you do. And whether we realize it or not, we're sowing words, just as Jesus said in Luke chapter 8 and verse 11. The seed is the word of God. The sower went forth to sow, and the seed he was sowing was the word of God. And this is the seed we ought to sow. Others are sowing sense knowledge seeds of fear and doubt. And it's when we confess the word of God and declare with emphasis that by his stripes I am healed or my God supplies every need of mine and hold fast to that confession, that's when we see our deliverance. Our words beget faith or doubt in others. Revelation 12 and 11 declares, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They overcame him with the word of God that was in their testimony. They conquered the devil with words. Most of the sick that Jesus healed during his ministry were healed with words. God created the universe with words. They were faith-filled words. Jesus said, Thy faith has made thee whole. He said to the dead Lazarus, Come forth. His words raised the dead. Satan is overcome by words. He's whipped by words. Our lips become the means of transportation of God's deliverance from heaven to man's need here on earth. We use God's word. We whisper, in Jesus' name, demon, come out of him. Jesus said, in my name, you will cast out demons. And in my name, you will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. All of it is with words. Jesus evidently walked in the light of his confession. He was what he confessed. And it's strange that we never knew until recently that faith follows in the footprints of our confession. Our confession builds the road over which faith hauls its mighty cargo. And you're going to learn that you never rise above your confession. And you'll never enjoy the riches of grace until you confess them. And you're going to find that your confession of what he is, of what he has done for you, and what you are in him, always precedes his revelation of himself. Salvation follows confession. Romans 10 and 9 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and the same is true in receiving the Holy Spirit, our healing follows our confession. Some people have to hold fast to their confession in the face of apparent defeat, and they refuse to give in to sense evidences. You are going to learn the danger of a dual confession. Confessing one moment, the absolute integrity of the word, 
but the next moment confessing that he has not made it good in your case. Your confession is the thing that challenges the world. It's the thing that causes them to venture into the faith life. Christianity is the great confession. It heads up in Jesus, in his confession, and next in us, in our bold declaration of the utter truthfulness of this living word that we read. The church has never given this vital subject of confession a place in its teaching, and yet answered prayer, the use of Jesus' name, and faith are utterly dependent upon it. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Wherefore, holy brethren, Partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, even Jesus. Christianity is called our confession. And in Hebrews 4 and 14, we're told to hold fast our confession. Now you understand Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And you see that the the place that confession holds in salvation, it holds the same place in our faith walk. Christianity, folks, is a confession. It is our open confession of what we are in Christ and what Christ is to us. Our faith is gauged by our confession. We never believe beyond our confession. And it's not a confession of sin. It's the confession of our place in Christ, of our legal rights, of what the Father has done for us in Christ, and what the Spirit has done in us through the Word, and what He's able to do through us. There's a grave danger of our having two confessions. One would be the integrity of the Word, and the other would be of our doubts and fears. And every time we confess weakness and failure and doubt and fear, we go to the level of them. We may pray very ardently and very earnestly and declare in our prayers our faith in the word, and yet the next moment we question whether he heard us or not, for we confess we have not the things for which we pray. Our last confession destroys our prayer of faith. One man asked <clears throat> asked me to pray for his healing. I prayed for him. And then he said, I want you to keep on praying for him. And I asked him, what do you wish me to pray for? He said, oh, for my healing. I said, well, prayer is not going to be of any value to you. You have just denied the word of God. The word says those who believe will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. I prayed the prayer of faith, and he denied it. And by his confession, he annulled my prayer and destroyed the effects of my faith. Your confession has to absolutely agree with the word. And if you have prayed in Jesus' name, you're supposed to hold fast to your confession. It's easy to destroy the effect of your prayer by a negative confession. I want to read you a... Uh, testimony of uh, E.W. Kenyon. He said, after I had finished praying for one woman the other morning, she was satisfied that she was perfectly healed. 
But now the symptoms have returned and her heart is disturbed. And she wonders where the difficulty lies. And I ask her, did you tell your husband when you saw him at night that you were ill? She said, no. You see, I wasn't sure yet. I didn't want to say anything until I was positive. And he asked her, he said, but you had no pain. Was there any soreness? Oh, that all left. But you see, I have to be careful. My husband is skeptical and I didn't want to tell him I was healed until I was sure. Well, I can see where a difficulty lay, can't y'all? She didn't believe the word. And had she made her confession to her husband, that thing would never have come back on her. But she played it right into the hands of the enemy. And he restored the same symptoms that she had had and brought back the pain and soreness. And that happened because she invited him in to do it. Had she dared to stand her ground on the word and, ha- and held fast to her confession that she was him, he would have had no ground of approach back into her. Our faith in a- or unbelief is determined by our confession. Few of us realize the effect of our spoken word on our own hearts or on our own uh, adversaries, our enemy. He hears us make our confession of failure, of sickness, of lack, and apparently he don't forget. And we unconsciously go down to the level of our confession. No one ever rises above it. If you confess sickness, it develops sickness in your system. If you confess doubt, the doubt becomes stronger. If you confess lack of finances, it stops the money from coming in. You say, I can't understand this. No, because most of us live in the sense realm and spiritual things are very indistinct. Hebrews 4.14 must become a constant reality. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Our confession is that the word cannot be broken and that what the Father says is true all the time. And when we doubt the Father, we're doubting his word. And when we doubt his word, it's because we believe something else that's contrary to the word that we've we've read. Our confidence may be in the arm of the flesh. It may be in medicine. It may be an institution. But whatever our confidence is in, If it contradicts the word, it destroys our faith life. It destroys our prayers. It brings us again into bondage. And every person who walks by faith will have testings. They don't come from the Father. They come from the enemy. He is refusing to allow you to escape him. You become dangerous to the enemy when you become strong enough to resist him when you have learned to trust in the ability of the Father to meet your every need. And when that becomes a reality in your consciousness, the enemy is defeated, Lord of God. But as long as he can confuse the issue and keep you in a state of unbelief, you're at a disadvantage. May your confidence in the word be strengthened to make you know that no word from God is void of power or can go by default.
There isn't power in all the universe to avoid one statement of fact in this word. He said, I watch over my word to perform it. And again, he says, he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame in 1 Peter 2, 6. Your confidence is in that unbroken living word and you hold fast to your confession in the face of every assault of the enemy. Titus 3 and 8 says, faithful is the saying and concerning these things I desire that thou affirm confidently to the end that they who have believed God may be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. The word confession in its positive meaning in the Bible, is affirming what God has said in his word. It is witnessing to the word's declaration. It's testifying to truth revealed in the book. And we have been divinely instructed to hold fast our confession, as Hebrews 4 and 14, and again in Hebrews 10 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope that it waver not, for he is faithful that promised. Not only are we to hold fast our confession to the word, but we are to affirm constantly those things God has revealed to us. Well, what's confession? Confession is saying what God has said in his word about a certain thing. It's agreeing with God. It's saying the same thing the scripture says. And to hold fast your confession is to say what God has said over and over until the thing desired in your heart and promised in the word is fully manifested. There's no such thing as possession without confession. And when we discover our rights in Christ, we are to affirm these things constantly, testify to them, witness to those gigantic Bible facts. Or as Paul said in Philemon 6, the communication of thy faith becomes effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Affirmations of truth are to ring from our lips constantly. We are to hold fast to them without wavering. The penalty for wavering in our confession is that we deny ourselves God's promise and the performance of it. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth, let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. And it says in Psalms 107 too, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And it says Psalm 74, let such as love thy salvation say continually, let God be magnified. What things are we to affirm constantly? Well, we are to affirm the positive scriptures that reveal the good things within us in Christ. There are hundreds of powerful affirmations that we can make constantly as we speak the language of the scripture. Now, these things affirm constantly. The ones I'm fixing to relate to you. God is who he says he is. I am who God says I am. God can do what he says he can do. I can do what God says I can do. God has what he says he has. I have what God says I have. 
And you know, few of us realize the effect that our conversations have upon our own spirits. When you pretend to be what you're not and you talk glibly about it, it builds into your spirit a weakness. And it's like a piece of rot in the beam of a building. Or your conversations may be full of discouragement and you talk of your failures and inferiority. Eventually, it's going to rob you of your initiative. You'll find it difficult to rise above that mental attitude. But on the other hand, you speak the truth about what you are in Christ. You confess to your friends and your enemies what God is to you and your union with him. You confess that you are actually partners with him, that he is the one who backs you up and furnishes the capital to put the thing over. And you give him credit for his ability. You give him credit for his wisdom. And you dare to make your confession boldly of your confidence in your success by his grace. Jesus' bold and continual confession, folks, is our example. We are what he made us to be. Jesus confessed what he was. Since knowledge could not understand it, because we are to confess what we are in Christ. Men of the senses will not understand us. To confess that you are redeemed, that your redemption is an actual reality, that you are delivered out of Satan's dominion and authority, that would be a daring confession to make. And to confess that you are an actual new creation created in Christ the Jesus, that you are a partaker of the very nature and life of deity, that would amaze your Christian friend. And it ain't confessing it once, but daily you affirm your relationship to him, confessing your righteousness, your ability to stand in his presence without the sense of guilt or inferiority. You do that daily. Dare to stand in the presence of sense, knowledge, facts, and declare that you are what God says you are. For instance, sense, knowledge declares that I'm sick with an incurable disease. I confess that God laid that disease on Jesus that Satan has no right to put it on me and that by his stripes I am healed. And I am to hold fast to my confession in the faith of apparent sense-knowledge contradiction. Sense-knowledge says it's not true that I am confessing an untruth, but I'm confessing what God says. You see, there's two kinds of truth. There's sense-knowledge truth, and there's revelation truth. And they're usually opposed to each other. Folks, we live in the new realm above the senses. So we hold fast to our confession that we are what the Word says we are. And suppose my senses have revealed the fact that I am in great need financially. Well, the word declares my God shall supply all your needs. And I call his attention to what the senses have animated. And he knows that my expectations are from him. And I refuse to be intimidated by sense evidences. I refuse to have my life governed by them. And I know that he who is in me is greater than the forces that surround me. And the forces that oppose me are in the senses. And the power that is in me is the Holy Spirit. And I know that spiritual forces are greater than the forces in the sense realm. 
<clears throat> and I maintain my confession of spiritual values and spiritual realities in the face of sense contradictions. And faith confessions is always a joyful confession. It confesses that we have money before it ever has arrived. It confesses perfect healing while pain is still in the body. It confesses victory while defeat still holds it captive. Your confession is based upon the living word. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is not only able to make good, but he is making good now in my case, 2 Timothy 1 and 12. And when we confess the word with joy, it brings conviction to the listeners. In Romans 10, 10, the scripture says, for with the heart man believeth. And I like to translate it like this, for with the heart man acts on the word. The heart acts and that drives the lips to confession. Praise God. And a dating heart is a sense-ruled heart, but a fearless confession comes from a word-ruled heart. The word dominates the heart life and the person speaks as Paul did, saying, I know whom I have believed in 2 Timothy 1 and 12. Remember when Paul stood on the deck of that ship in the midst of that storm? He said, I believe God. And then he told those wandering men, every one of you will get to the shore safely, but the ship's going to be lost. And he said, come on, let's go ahead and eat. He broke bread and gave thanks in the midst of them. He gave them more than bread. He gave them courage. Paul had a faith-filled, joyous confession. Only a heart that is nourished on the word can stand in these hard places. And when we know that the word of God is speaking to us now, it's not very difficult to act on it. In Psalm 119 and 89, we read that the word is settled in heaven. Folks, when I read that, I saw that it has to be settled in my heart. I would no longer try to settle it. I knew that no word from God was void of fulfillment. And I wasn't afraid any longer to act upon it. The word became more real to me than any word that man had ever spoken. You know, my lips were filled with laughter. My heart was filled with joy and I had a victorious confession. How many times I have seen the hesitant confession, which is a forerunner of failure, and the joyful confession, which is a forerunner of victory. And when we fearlessly act upon the word and we joyfully cast our every care on him, victory is as sure as the rising sun. Glory to God. Folks, I'm out of time, but God bless you. I hope it blessed you. Confess the word daily and you'll be in that, you'll walk in that victorious realm. God bless you. We'll see you next time. God willing. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels, Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. Can quench my thirsting soul. Pure as water made me whole. Let your streams of mercy flow, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Oh, the 